passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The mastermind behind All In has a solution for every problem. Cody, I must admit, this is actually ingenious. We want to give the fans what we want. We want to make history. We want to do it in our own way. And yes, we want to right the wrong. There has been one triple threat match for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And now, heck, let us rewrite history. Let us rewrite the stars. Cody Rhodes, Kota Ibushi, let us show the beauty of professional wrestling and let us, in one week's time, have a triple threat match. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Post Wrestling's New Japan Fighting Spirit Unleashed Post Show. I am John Pollock, and joined tonight, very special guest here, in the post office himself, Mike Murray. Who has returned? Mike. Uh, this is my first time being in the post office, the caverns of Casa del Pollock, and uh, it's pretty rad. I can see the Dallas shell from here, guys. Yeah, we've officially dubbed this, this is Post Office West. So, you know, we're, <laughs> we're wildly expanding, Mike. Where is uh, Post Office East? Or is that like a secret? Well, we have, we have the, the true post, post office that uh, Waiting is the, the official landlord of. <laughs> <laughs> waiting is away tonight. He's actually uh, somewhere at a wedding, a rare Sunday night wedding. Sunday night wedding is a strange event. Very odd deal. Yeah. But here is Mike. Always great when I get to hang out with Mike and chat professional wrestling. So we are going to be going through the Fighting Spirit Unleashed card. And then we're also going to share some of our thoughts on Friday's Ring of Honor event that both of us have had a chance to see from their pay-per-view. Very different shows. And... Looking at tonight's show, Mike, they were returning to the Walter Pyramid, a venue that you attended along with Dan Lavransky back in March. We actually had you guys on uh, yep. right after that show. So give me a sense for you uh, going into this show. This was one that, I mean, ticket sales were, were not, uh, this was not the level of demand that past Long Beach shows have had. Uh, what was what was your level of interest going into this show this week? I think you're totally right that the ticket sales, you know, I looked at it. Um, the Long Beach website for the Walter Pyramid and, you know, tickets were still available at face value and there was a lot. And I think that came through when you were watching that there was still a lot of seats unsold, but you know, I mean, I was still fairly excited for this card. It looks solid, but it is definitely lacking some of the main event level matches you might think you would see on a new Japan show. This being their fourth show in California now? Yeah. Well, if you count the, the first two they did, the back-to-back yeah. nights, and then they've since come back 
There was the one you went to, yep. then San Francisco, yep. and now we're back, back here, to yeah, Long yeah. Beach. So kind of their their fourth trip over here. For sure. And I think this was one where I think that they kind of took for granted just how much a New Japan show was going to draw from this audience. That New Japan being a novelty was something evident in 2017 and even earlier this year. And now I think you have a crowd that they have... It, this has been a big month for professional wrestling, where some may have traveled to All In, and you had no lineup until Monday night. I mean, you had people traveling, I think, even to the G1 from over here, right? Yeah. That we've heard about. Yep. And, you know, they're, to make it special isn't just good enough to have the guys come over, I think, now to have a New Japan show. I think that people are expecting to see a big title defense. Or a big one-on-one match that that has that cachet and that uh, that kind of grab you, grab your imagination. Let's say of what we want to see. I mean, because after watching the G1 all summer, all of us, I'm sure out there, have watched many hours of uh, wrestling this summer. I caught a few matches. Yeah, I, I know, and uh, I've actually finished uh, the whole thing. I'm very proud to uh, admit uh, the first year I actually watched every G1 match. Wow, and. Uh, there was a lot out there. We saw a lot of great one-on-one matches. And this card, although it had a lot of intrigue and had a lot of guys you want to see, it didn't have that hook, though. I think that was a big problem for this show is that it felt like this was – listen, if you went to this show, you're definitely not regretting it. This was an outstanding show, but you don't sell tickets based on after the fact. You're It's all in hype. It's all in what you can set up ahead of time. And I, I think that there – September is a very tough month when you're coming off the G1 and then you're running three destruction shows. And this show is right in the middle of another big show, which they've got to turn around and promote now at Sumo Hall next week, which we'll get into. There's also the fact that I think a lot, it's a younger audience. I shouldn't say younger. There's a, I'd say a lot of university age Mm -hmm. uh, fan base that are going to these shows and you're, you're in September. You're going back to school for those guys, right? And girls as it is. And traveling is probably not in the, you know, cards to go see a wrestling card unless you're getting that, you know, that, that match you want to see. And everyone's, you know, they're, they're saving up now for, uh, the super showdown. I mean, if you're going to travel, I mean, <laughs> let's go to, let's go to Australia. your big traveling show next week. Uh, we've got, uh, the big WWE show. Uh, so going into this show as well, uh, Josh Barnett, he was off because there was a Ryzen event happening, uh, early Sunday morning and he was over there cornering and mm-hmm. thus was not going to be calling this show. We got the pairing of Kevin Kelly with Jim Ross. And I guess what we'll talk about more specifics, but, how did you feel the, the chemistry worked? Because it seemed like throughout the show, Jim Ross kind of took the lead role and then Kevin Kelly was kind of defaulting more to color, but you would also see him, you know, identifying certain, uh, certain guys, specific m- maneuvers. And yeah, how did, how did you feel the give and take worked throughout the show? I think one of the complaints uh, of the last few shows with the commentary has been JR's kind of slip ups. And I think having Kevin Kelly there as the color, and providing history and making sure that the storylines got translated through. JR did great tonight, I think, compared to some of the other nights. I, I think this was his best outing of the Long Beach shows. For sure. The for California sure. shows. Yeah. yeah. In particular, I, I thought tonight's main event was one of his best performances. Like, I, I thought the main event, he really shined in that one. 
I think uh, the two of them worked a lot better than I anticipated mm -hmm. at first. It's very difficult when you're taking two play-by-play -play guys to put together. Like That can be very difficult where they're stepping over one another. You're right. And uh, I think Kevin Kelly did a great job of kind of letting JR drive and every once in a while giving a little bit of directions. You know, and it worked out well. I think I think they did pull it off. Yeah, this, this felt to me like Jim Ross is someone that I, I think he's very aware of the criticism he has received in the past. And this seemed like a show that he knew he was going to be with Kevin Kelly, who is lives and breathes this product. Yep, just called the sure. entire G1, as yep. you just uh, listened to. And I, I thought that Jim Ross, you saw uh, a much more kind of focused Jim Ross from start to finish on this show. I think you can't... Um brush Kevin Kelly Kelly's excuse me, Kevin Kelly's um gifts, his his passion and the importance of him to the broadcasts of New Japan and how they've kind of developed. I mean, they've decided to bring him over for pretty much every show now. Yeah. And there must be a reason for that, right? That the the audience or the fan base is demanding to to hear some English and they they're happy with them. And also I I think credit to Kevin Kelly that he Understood that role tonight, that here's the guy that's used to being the, the guy calling play by play for all these new Japan cards and kind of, he adjusted his role tonight. I think you're right. And it made for a better broadcast. Yeah. I, I, thought. I, he did not try and take over, which some people maybe with bigger egos would have tried that for sure. So we started off with, uh, Rapongi 3K and Rocky Romero taking on Ryusuke Taguchi, Jushin Thunder Liger and ACH. And I want to just bring up the audience first off because this was, a really hot crowd. We heard about 3,000 people in this venue, which I believe the capacity that they had the last time was around 4,500. So, yeah, so we're looking at maybe a third less. Yeah. So show. big drop off. Yeah. I think that's noticeable. But this audience that showed up, I thought this crowd was great tonight, Mike. It's almost like they made a point of like, we're here. We're going to have a good time. And we're going to show everybody right out of that the gate. we want to be here. Man, the Liger chance right off the start. It was interesting having, we'll talk about the ROH pay-per-view, but having Liger in the opener, which yep. I think is a great role for Liger, yep. and totally different reactions from Friday's ROH show to tonight, where like everyone just felt that much more popular tonight, because this, this was a really great crowd. I agree. They really brought something to the show. So we started off uh, Taguchi, who... I mean, all of his comedy was landing with this audience. They did this uh, triple submission early with Taguchi and ACH applying ankle locks while Liger had a surfboard applied. And then Taguchi was hitting his hip attacks and everyone's going nuts for this. Uh, Jim Ross did point out that why is it called a hip attack when he's clearly hitting him with the glutes? With the glutes. So. And then there was a two fingers into the glute hole, <laughs> which was really odd. Uh, I believe that was called by Jim Ross. What was that? <laughs> Romero did the forever clotheslines. And on the third one, Taguchi came out with a hip attack. Big reaction. It was like, these guys could do no wrong. Taguchi did his Nakamura mannerisms. Yep. And then ACH took out uh, Rapongi 3K to the floor with a dive. Taguchi was left. Pinned Rocky Romero with the Dodon. Eight minutes, 55 seconds. Uh, I thought this was really fun opener. Audience. I mean, you're either going to really love Taguchi or you're going to get annoyed by him. And this crowd, they, they love the comedy. It worked I, very well. It seems like similar to the uh, the San Francisco show where uh, Toriano was so over. Yes. Right? Yeah. And the crowd. This yeah, is he a, was this, absent on this show. He was I, not here, right? Mm -hmm. But it's almost like you could have either one of those guys. Kind of filling this little bit of comedy role and have it at the beginning. And, you know, it kind of gets it out of the way for people that don't want it or don't like it. But, man, you're right. He's over. 
Like, and this, this crowd eats up that stuff because they want us, they want the experience. It's like you got a little mix of everything in this with Taguchi's comedy, Liger's the legend. So you yep. only had to do a few things with him. ACH was, you know, the requisite high flying spots that we're going to get a reaction. Yep. I thought this was a, a really fun opener to start. Now, you and I noticed this, and then later, um, they even cut to him during the broadcast, but <laughs> Moro Ronaldo was seated uh, next to uh, his agent, he Frank had Shamrock. Good, he had good seats. Man, he, he scored some great seats. Yeah, yeah, I, I wonder was... if he got a, there at the internet presale. Uh, maybe he knows somebody. I don't know. Could have been, but there was a point during the Will Ospreay, Marty Scroll match, and they cut to Moro, who's got the biggest smile on his face, and he's applauding, and... Yeah, so he was there, and then we also saw shots of uh, Kyrie Sane and Io Shirai, who are also there. That's in, true. In attendance, so um, a bit of a NXT contingent in in town. Maybe I mean it's it's a bit of a ways from Florida. It is. It is. A know, that's that's a long drive. It's strange <laughs> to me, Mike, that in wrestling that will become a thing that people will discuss, like other people in the crowd. And <gasps> I can't believe they were at the show and we saw them. Oh it's my god! So. Like, I just watched Bellator last night, yeah. where Daniel Cormier was not only there, but they showed him, he was acknowledged to the crowd, he was identified as your UFC double champion, and in wrestling, like, that is considered, like, oh my god, someone's in the crowd at a show, and I don't know if there's any other sports that that we would even think twice about. No, let me, let me ask you a question as we get off track here for a little bit. Uh, if it was a UFC card, and you saw Bellator champ on it, would they mention it? You're right. They wouldn't, but right. they didn't. They didn't mention Moro here. They did not mention it tonight. They did cut to him. There yeah. was a subliminal acknowledgement of I mean, him there. Well, there was some odd cuts. You never know. Maybe that was just a mistake. <laughs> it could have been. They, they just like, want to show somebody having a good time in the crowd. Look at that fan is really enjoying Australia's <laughs> I think I recognize him. He's having a good time. Next up, we had the addiction: Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian taking on Hangman Page and Chase Owens. And man, Frankie Kazarian was uh, wearing the oh. wearing the the wares of that chair shot from Friday night. He had. Yeah, several. They were stating they, he had gotten sutures in his head. They said they said glue. Wow. Um, he was. If you didn't watch Ring of Honor, he was split open pretty hard on a Friday night, and uh, he was back at it tonight. Back here, just questionable, but back at it. You know? Sew me up, and I'm ready to go. Yep. And uh, Owens and Page they isolated Kazarian for a while. He ended up landing a backcracker onto Owens, tagging in Daniels. Uh, Daniels and Kazarian, being that they were back here in SoCal, they yep. were incredibly over. They even came out with a, a flag for the uh, for California. So total baby faces here in SoCal. Daniels comes in. Uh, we notice here his right leg was significantly taped up, and this wasn't evident on Friday because, as you you very astutely pointed out, he he was wearing pants on Friday. He was wearing but- pants and no shirt, and tonight he was back to uh, the singlet he's been wearing for the last few years. He got turned, he uh, turned around, was caught with a buckshot lariat from Page, and then Page went for the shooting star, the spot he always does off the apron, and Kazarian just went to his back and landed the uh, double knees, which Page landed on. Really cool spot. Back inside, Kazarian held Owens, Daniels came off the top for the best Meltzer ever, and they pinned Chase Owens eight minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, Another fun match uh, to start off early in the the card. Uh, SoCal Uncensored is so over these days. I was telling you, when I was in Chicago for All In, I mean, they were one of the acts that all weekend long, people are just yelling out SCU and just fans together. Like, they being the elite has really elevated 
that group, the three of them. I think somebody else that's really been elevated in the last few months is uh, Paige. He looked good in this match. You and know, the audience took to him yeah. as a big star. He he had some good matches in the G1. Uh, I think he did a lot better than I thought he was going to in the G1, uh, match-wise and entertainment-wise. But I think the being, being the elite has really helped him as well. Can I maybe go out on a limb and say... He would be, to me, uh, of all our potential free agents that are, we know they're going to be free agents coming up. I think Hangman Page would be, I would advise him the most not to go to WWE. I think he's got. I think that guy's got an enormous 2019 ahead of him. I think you're right. I think if he gets another shot at the G1 and has another good showing, uh, he's super popular. It seems everywhere he goes. And. I would not have thought that back when he was like the young boy for the decade. Yeah. You know, like how many years ago? Not not that long ago. No. Four years ago maybe no, he when wasn't. he was starting out with that. And, and that guy's come a long way. Yeah. He's to me someone that I, I think ultimately will end up in WWE. But he's got a lot of big years I think outside that he – he truly, he really feels after the G1 that he's advanced to the next level yeah, of his and I, career. And I think he's really, you know, I don't want to say laying the groundwork for a great career, but definitely like building layers. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and working his way to something, maybe something special. Crowd was just super hot for, for this tag match as well. And that's going to be a consistent theme throughout this show. Hiroki Goto and the best friends, Chucky T and Beretta taking on Jeff Cobb, Chris Saban and Flip Gordon. I'm wearing my Cobbzilla shirt tonight. Showed up. You were all set. You knew the kind of weekend this guy was having, and he built upon it here. This kind of like summer this guy is having, or or like September, I guess we should say. Man, this is the month of Cobb. Um, Man, he's... We saw him at Smash. He was at Smash, which clearly just started everything for him. I think having a a show in Toronto at the Phoenix is the best way to start your uh, campaign. He wins Bola. Then... He goes and becomes ROH. First of all, on well, Friday. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Hold on. He walked out with the title. That can't be a spoiler. Oh, you're right. Okay, good point. He spoiled his own title <laughs> win on this show. So Friday night, it is a dead crowd. And then Jeff Cobb comes out. Yeah. This audience, you flip the, the it on was, switch. It was dead quiet in the Murray household up to that point, I'm going to tell you. Wow. So yeah. Jeff Cobb, very over there as well. Yep. And then Saturday wins the television title. And tonight shows up at New Japan. Uh, for this show, and it looks like he's got a pretty dedicated program coming out of this. I think oh, this yeah. was a pretty sure. big weekend for Jeff Cobb and his career. So the way this match was set up was that uh, Goto and Cobb were the two individuals that they built up to for their big interaction. Crowd was hot when they were finally tagged in. Yeah, they spent a lot of time on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Not, on, not on the apron, but actually just out of the ring and looking in. Goto connected with a spinning heel kick. Chucky and Beretta came in. They suplexed Cobb together, and then Cobb came back, suplexing the two of them by himself. Uh, Chucky landed a pile driver to Cobb, who was saved by his teammates. And then as Chucky missed a moonsault, Cobb lifted him up for the tour of the islands and wins the match. And afterwards, the big showdown was between Cobb and Goto. Goto got into his face, and afterwards, they were doing the interviews backstage, and Goto said... I don't know what that title was that Jeff Cobb was holding, but I'm going to take it. So totally bearing the television title uh, for Ring of Honor. Yeah, that's not good. Goto and Cobb, though, are, yeah, looks like they're going to be paired off. That's a proverbial Haas fight right there, I think. I think Jeff Cobb, uh, another guy who is, yeah, post-Lucha Underground, looks like he's going to have a a great run between these two. Like, he he felt super popular this weekend. And I think... um because they're in Long Beach, uh, pretty close to the PWG uh, Bo- or Bola, 
best of uh, Los Angeles shows, uh, the crowd was into him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Very, very hot for Cobb. So, yeah, it looks like him and Goto. Do you see that being a New Japan program or do you see that being Goto coming there to Ring of Honor? I think that's more – if it's going to be for the Ring of Honor TV title, it's got to be in Ring of Honor. Yeah, you would think so. Maybe that might be one of the key matches at these uh, uh, tour that's coming up in November. You think this could be uh, happening at Maple Leaf Gardens? This might be happening at Maple Leaf Gardens. We might get the Ring of Honor TV title defended at Maple Leaf Gardens. Or we'll get Tai Chi. Uh, or we'll get Tai Chi. I'm going for the TV title. Uh, so then we go to Tetsuya Naito, Evil, and Sonata taking on Zack Sabre Jr. and the Killer Elite Squad. Uh, LIJ came out. Huge oh reaction in particular for, for Naito. Yes. I mean, this... We've been talking about how popular most of the people were. I think Naito eclipsed them all once he was tagged in. Um, and he barely had to do anything. No, he was, it's this, this was just being tagged in yeah. and the place was deafening, <laughs> chanting for Naito. Yeah. Uh, huge reaction. The match built up to Evil and Zack Sabre Jr., who I would imagine are going to be having their singles match next week at Sumo Hall. They've been teasing this for weeks. Uh, they had a really great interaction. Uh, Sabre avoided everything is evil on several occasions and then he caught him with the European clutch and with it applied extended the middle finger to the entire crowd. Both. Yep. I mean, no respect here from Zack Sabre Jr. Nine minutes, 29 seconds, gets the pin on Evil. You have never seen a man more deflated by a pinfall loss than Evil. I am totally going to agree with this. The the amount of drama they put into this uh, pinfall, you know, like that that he was just like so broken. And and Naito like asked for the mic and and he took the mic and didn't say anything and they didn't do the fist bump and, and, and everything's lost and... I think we're getting the match next week. I think you're right. This visual of evil on his hands and knees. Yeah, like broken. And Naito just stands over top of him like, just get up, man. It's all right. So it's okay. You just couldn't do it. Yeah. Evil was just, I mean, the the saddest man named evil you could imagine. I think Saber really ruined the party. I mean, all those people wanted the LIJ fist bump. They want everything to be happy in the family. And man. Well, afterwards, Zack Saber Jr., he really rubbed salt in the wound. He said that that evil is a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> he is a double espresso. So clearly stealing our coffee rankings. I, uh, Zach Sabre Jr. Do you have a uh, poor ratings for pumpkin spice lattes? We haven't in- in- incorporated pumpkin spice lattes. Is that like a but, dud? Uh, I don't Holy know. shoe ugly match. See, I, I'm not so anti PSL as, as others. No, are, but uh, uh, no, not uh, as much for you. I, I learned quite the thing about Mike tonight that you are just, just straight black coffee drinker. Straight black coffee. Yeah. Once just, in a while, touch of sugar. But uh, usually just black, yeah. Yeah, I I can do black coffee. I I, I find it to be a nice change of pace. But I'm a typical milk, tiny bit of sugar. We uh we're pretty hardcore. We're drinking coffee, watching wrestling. Yes, uh, on a Sunday night. Wait, wait. Before we go, we yes. didn't we didn't really even talk about the Killer Elite Squad. Yeah, they were. Uh, well, why don't you share your okay. thoughts? I uh, I like the new look. Mm-hmm. Um, Davey Boy Smith Jr. is looking pretty fancy. Harry uh, is morphing more into Teddy yeah. day and day by day. <laughs> You're not wrong. That's that's not wrong. Um, Lance is a little upset that he can't spit water, I think. I think no, really it looks like this him. has been taken away from him. Yeah, he's very like, upset about like it. Like the toy is there and he's holding it and he can't like play with the toy he want, the way he wants to. It's uh but man, their ability to kind of like do the Suzuki stuff, you know, beat on the young boys afterwards, a lot of like outside brawling. They really had the Suzuki gun mentality going, uh, even though 
the teacher wasn't there. Where, where do you see Killer Elite Squad figuring in? Because they just traded wins with the best friends yep. on the last two Destruction Tours. Um, do you see them getting involved in, in the tag title scene? Because um, they, they're kind of on this island in, I agree, in, in New Japan. I would say like throughout the summer, they were nowhere to be seen. No, and weren't in the G1. You're right. And that seemed a little odd. That you, I think, uh, was Lanson at last year? He was in it. Or two uh, years ago? I want to say like two or three years yeah, back. And, and he had right? a good showing too. Like he's, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to be lighting the world on fire, no. but he's a, he's a very competent big man worker that is not often someone that is credited as such. And I think them as a tag team, uh, are pretty fun. You know, they've had some good matches over the years, depending on who they're paired with. I think going into the tag team tournament in December, uh, we should see, you know, what's going to happen with them and whether New Japan's behind them or what's going on. I think if you're going to include the likes of the Golden Lovers and maybe even this recent Ishii and Will Ospreay team, this tag league in December could be really great this year as I mean, opposed to kind of just this kind of end of the year tour that people are kind of in and out in terms of paying attention. I agree in that usually it's like kind of there and everyone's, you know, thinking about the holidays and stuff like that. And it's really not on people's, uh, you know, forefront of their thoughts, but I think maybe Ishii might have a better partner than Will Ospreay. And that's a hot take for the main event for tonight. Oh, okay. Well, for, the, for the tournament. Something still to come. Yeah, that's right. So big angle last weekend was Gato turning his back on Kazuchika Okada, joining with Jay White, his new his new prodigy. And tonight was kind of Jay White's first match, you know, post-angle and clearly being designed to be elevated to a top, top role in New Japan, taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kushida. White took Tanahashi down to the floor, began choking on him uh, using a cable, and they got the advantage for Tanahashi on Tanahashi, who is just tremendous selling and gaining sympathy from this crowd. He was able to hit a reverse cross off the turnbuckle to make the tag to Kushida. Kushida came in, rolled into an armbar on Gato, but then Jay White broke it up. Uh, Jay White, um, I have never been... Like, I see all the potential in the world in this guy, and... There's just like that one final thing for me that hasn't truly clicked. In this match, it really felt like Jay White has that that top main event confidence and just he just seems like someone that has really embraced now that this role that he is one of the the top guys. Where are you on Jay White? Uh I'm gonna agree with you. I didn't really see the Switchblade character clicking. Mm-hmm. And I think that Gato being with him is going to do it. I think that just using this match as an example, I, I think that it's like, it clicked for me in this match, just yeah. watching him. He just seems to have that much more confidence where, Oh, especially I on mean, the mic. I thought too. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like you go back to the match he had with Tanahashi at the Tokyo dome. Right. And that was a guy that just felt like he was in over his head and overthinking everything. It's almost like you could see the wheels turning throughout that match with him. What are we talking? Less than a year. Yeah, that was you know January. He, it was this year. Right? He only yeah. came back in January for that. Yeah. He, he did the return in November, but then the match was January. Right. So, and let's remember, he's not playing that character during this excursion. I mean, this is a brand new character for yeah, him. Yeah, you're right. When he was, he was super babyface when he was over here. To imagine where he is, just up to the Juice match. That's July yeah. of where he kind of progressed. I, I think that you know the Gato thing might have been the the missing touch here. So we continue on. Uh, Tanahashi's back in. 
White went for the Blade Runner, got blocked. He hit the twist and shout, sling blade, and then Kushida took Gato to the floor. Tanahashi is climbing up, but White grabs Tiger Hattori, and Gato hits Tanahashi with brass knuckles, Mike. I was really happy to see the return of Brass Knuckles as an old-time wrestling fan. Somewhere, William Regal's uh, commissioner's <laughs> office is empty right now. There was a foreign object, and I was happy. Nails him with the Brass Knuckles, and then White takes Tanahashi's prone body, hits the Blade Runner, and I was very surprised at this. He pinned Tanahashi clean. Eight- mm, it's not clean with the Well, I, I mean, it was a pinfall that it Tanahashi It was a pinfall, took. you're right. Yeah. Yep. Um, 8.51, I thought for sure... Ghetto was taking the fall here, but yep. I mean, obviously, like Jay White is of the utmost importance, and he pinned Tanahashi. And it's a, like in New Japan when they have Tanahashi or Okada or Naito take a fall, it's a big, big deal. And if it so, isn't one of the other guys doing it, yeah, right. So, like if it's somebody new added to the mix, and, and even so, I mean, in tag matches, I mean, yep. there's always the designated fall guy, and it's not those guys. <laughs> no, so, it's Rocky Romero. Like it's Gato. It, oh, like, yeah, exactly. It, like, Gato, yeah. Uh, so I was really surprised they had Tanahashi get pinned here, and yep. they're just going all the way with Jay White. And maybe this singles match is happening as soon as next week. Uh, the crowd hated Jay White. His they booed him vociferously. Yeah, afterwards. we're talking like a smart crowd here, and they still they gave it their all. And they, this got uh, the most heat on the show. I agree. And there was there was um at the end when uh, Jay White had the microphone, and he wants to know what Tana is waiting for. He wants to know why Tana needs to beat Okada to feel like he's justified for going for the belt when he why, lost to him as well. When he lo- also lost to Jay White. And said something really a little bit cringeworthy in that Jay White believes New Japan does not want two foreigners in the main event at Wrestle Kingdom. They're racist. It's harsh. Well, this... What I really enjoyed about this was that Jay White could sense how this crowd was reacting. Yeah, and he played it up. He milked it. Yeah. Like, this sure. guy This guy thinks really quick on his feet. I would say so, yeah. Like, you could see it in that chair angle last week when Yoshihashi nearly killed himself running down to the ring and just the way... <laughs> yes, White, he saved that. You're right. White yeah. stayed composed. I mean, yeah. this seems like a guy... I mean, Taking the blood and wiping it on himself. I mean... You can talk about the whole situation with Jim Ross during the Juice Robinson match as well, that... That was not uh, a spot they had cleared with Jim Ross or anything like that. And yep. you watch that and you, th- your immediate reaction is like, this, this has to be an angle with Josh Barnett chasing him. And it seems that after that, like that to me was a bad example if you're just winging it and, you know, putting someone in danger. But I think Jay White is someone that he is able to kind of assess a situation and really kind of amplify it. I think they thought of that, like, Thought of that on the fly, maybe at that last. Maybe show. they did. And maybe they just thought, this you know, is- maybe it went a little sideways. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But even still, to be able to play off of that when Josh Barnett got involved and got up and got upset about the way it. Jay White was selling for Josh Barnett and yeah. begging off, yeah. it, like the fact that all of that was just Josh Barnett legitimately reacting yeah. is pretty nuts to it's, see in a pro wrestling context, especially for someone. Um, like Jay White that hasn't had that spot, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like you're talking about Ric Flair and you, you know, he's been doing this for 30 years. I mean, this guy's only been in this character for less than a year. I thought Jay White was one of the big stars of this show. I thought this was a really complete performance from him and setting up this match with Tanahashi. And I've talked about this on some other shows that I'm kind of torn about. It makes complete logical sense to do Tanahashi Jay White. They have to now. Like for 100%. sure. They can't avoid it now. You 100% have to do it. I just, I'm curious how you 
how do you book that match when Tanahashi should be unbeatable going into the, going into Wrestle Kingdom? And I don't think Jay White should be losing either. Well, Tana can't lose or else Jay White gets the shot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And how do you beat the heel and keep the heat on him? Like, New Japan, like if this was a WWE match, you wouldn't even be thinking twice. No. That, you know, you're going to get some bullshit finish. Yep. And, and something else will play off and Jay White will wrestle with somebody else. And you know what? The fact that New Japan never does those bullshit finishes, um, the idea of Okada, you know, coming out and brawling with it's something to cost him. Yeah. Maybe this is the one time they do that because that is so rare. To but do. that leads into the Okada and Jay White match that we all think we're getting, right? Yes. Like, like yeah. That's- Somehow Okada prevents Jay White from beating Tanahashi. I, I don't know. It's not. Okada saves Tanahashi? Maybe. <laughs> Tag link. I gotta. Oh man, can you imagine? That would be crazy. Sell out every every event venue that they're uh, tuning in. I got a couple questions for you on this match. How do you feel about the title shot suitcase? Um, about the the actual physical briefcase. Yeah, the physical this? briefcase. Yes. Um, I think it's fine. Okay. I, I'm not crazy about the copycat nature of the WWE because I, I think that they should be trying to differentiate themselves, even if it's something of just what the actual representation of that title shot is beyond a briefcase. Okay. I agree. Um, was there a fourth guy in this match and did he do anything? And does he have a big match next week that maybe he should have done something in this match? Oh, you, you, you mean Kushida? <laughs> I, yeah, I think Kushida kind of got the short end of the stick in this match. I, I think this is, I thought this, uh, this representation of Kushida was indicative of this guy's entire year. He did nothing wrong. He's, he's, uh, he's there, but kind of just, going with the motion and he's kind of forgotten about on the back burner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm very curious to see where they go with him because Will Ospreay, it seems like the bridge from him from junior heavyweight to heavyweight is very much in play at the moment to, to move him to the heavyweight division. I think as we'll discuss in the next or soon, uh, we can get into that Mm -hmm. after I think, but that's, I think the junior heavyweight days of Will Ospreay are over. Um, also want to mention the audience here chanting, fuck you, Switchblade. Fuck you, Switchblade. Yeah. And yes, this is when he cut the promo on Tanahashi over the G1 and that they don't want two foreigners headlining Wrestle Kingdom. And White called this the new era. And yeah, I, I thought Jay White, you know, the match, the match was fine. It yeah. was, you know, a somewhat surprising finish, Tanahashi uh, getting pinned, but it was the post match that Jay White, I think, really, really shined. So they, They've got a hot character in, in Jay White. Yeah, and I'm really surprised that it's caught on. Good for him. 15-minute intermission we got. Yep. Not always. Time for coffee. Yep. We had, this is where we had, we had coffee at uh, 9.30, <laughs> 10 at night. And came back where we got their version of caffeine. It was Marty Skrull and Will Ospreay in the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title Tournament. And there was no amount of coffee that could equal this opening 30 second sequence. No, the, uh, the switch from the like fun, haha tags and the seriousness of the, the last, uh, angle before the intermission, the pedal went to the metal right away in this match. Where did this stand in terms of what you thought going in was going to be match of the night? Was this at the top of your uh, list or was this was definitely near the top of my list mm-hmm. of the thing, the things, this in the main event. So this started off with an immediate standing Spanish fly by Osprey for a near fall yep. seconds into the match. Right away. Yeah. Follows it with a space flying tiger drop and then a shooting star press. This is within 30 seconds. Yep. Unbelievable pace they start at. And then he teased the Oz cutter and Skrull rolled to the floor. But I thought it was great because they talked about how he can't beat Skrull. 
And it's like, he's like, bang, bang, bang right away. You know, like hit him with everything you got right away. And one of the things that is always in the back of my mind is last year, uh, at Sakura Genesis, they did this match with Hiromu Takahashi and Kushida. And the match ended in about two minutes. Yep. And I think if a that, lot of... Yeah. Yeah. And I think everyone remembers that it has happened. Where a, a major junior heavyweight title match has ended in two minutes. And when you're convincing enough, you can get people to buy into a false finish 30 seconds into a major title match. I agree. And I think it's good to do one of those every few years. Now, this is this is the people. semifinals for the uh, junior heavyweight winner, sort of mini tournament. Winner takes on the unknown man from the previous tag match. Kushida. Next week at Sumo Hall. That's right. So, Skrull came back after rolling to the floor, leveled Osprey with these gigantic chops. He starts attacking the neck of Osprey, even was forcing him down on the bottom rope with yeah. his feet. Uh, putting all this pressure on the neck and Osprey stopped him with a big handspring in Siguri. That was crazy. Grabbing his neck uh, throughout. A lot of selling here from Osprey. They fought on the apron. Skrull gets knocked down and Osprey proceeds to land a sunset bomb to the floor, yeah. which I do have to say, I, I thought that Skrull took very well. And this was not one of those where the head bounced off the, off the floor. It looked like a fairly as safe as you're going to get for a sunset flip power bomb, which yeah, I, I, I mean, never, I think that's a shout out to Hiroma right there in that move, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And probably guys being a lot more concerned about how, yeah. you, how you take that. Squirrel countered with uh, an os cutter into a backslide attempt. And I mean, these guys were just on fire here. The chemistry was tremendous in this match. There was a vertical suplex into the chicken wing with Squirrel applying it. This is when they cut to Moro, who's just having the time of his life watching this match, as were probably most in this crowd. Squirrel ran him into the post from the turnbuckle and then dropped him with this tiger suplex, hooking the arms off the top turnbuckle. This Like a tiger I, German. I don't even oh, know. It was like, oh. I just, I, I turned away. Just like, <laughs> oh my God. Then Squirrel follows with this like side double underhook driver yep. onto the neck and followed it with... Is it a version of a cradle pile driver? Thing? Yeah, it was kind of like a cradle, but it was like to the side and then hit graduation and pinned Osprey at 16 minutes and nine seconds. Outstanding match. Death taxes, Squirrel beats Osprey. Yes, yes. This is, you know... Uh, Skrull has just been always able to have Osprey's number save for uh, a very small amount of number, uh, number of times. And then he wins this to face off with Kushida next week. Now, uh, first of all, your opinions of the match and what this means for Will Osprey. Uh, Will Osprey did not have a good weekend when it comes to, uh, important matches, I would say, storyline yeah, wise. Yeah. He really blew it. You know, maybe he's got to gather himself and figure out where he's going. Uh, the match was great. I thought it was a little short, but I think maybe we're running short on time as this goes along. It went, uh, the whole show ended up going by what, three and a half hours? Yep, three yeah. and a half. I thought this was a very fast paced show. Yes. I didn't think there was any, there was no, there was no time between matches whatsoever. Like there was no lag on yeah. the show at all. And I, I just watched the Bellator show last night where, you know, it turned out to be about three and a half hours, and the pace was night and day to this. Yeah, that show felt so much longer than this one, and it was, it was even, it was probably even shorter than this in wow. real time. Um, Will Osprey, I think that, I think that this should be his kind of send off into the heavyweight division. I mean, he's teased stuff now with with Abushi. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm very much in favor of kind of relaxing the the hard and fast heavyweight junior heavyweight. I think Kushida, that could be put a lot of life into him as well. I think Kushida 
being that he's a shorter wrestler, I think might have a harder time being accepted as a quote unquote heavyweight. Um, I wonder, you that know, WH is throwing something against his. Well I know right he's, now. he's that's, flipping that's his, out his right dream now. Dream move to the heavyweight. Listen, division. I think Kushida is amazing, mm-hmm. and every time I've seen him, you know, at the glorious Ted Reeve Arena, uh, he's been fantastic for sure. Live, yeah, he's a special guy. If you ever get a chance to see him wrestle, for sure, live. Um, but you know, losing two pretty big matches in one weekend and then bumping up to heavyweight, I question. I think there's something there that we need a little bit of redemption for. Will Ospreay before he kind of graduates up to the heavyweight division. Well, we're going to chat about Cody Rhodes. And after watching him this weekend, I need to find out if these two worlds intersect. If you <laughs> exist in both simultaneously, <laughs> are you a character in one and a different one in the other? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's This Ring of Honor New Japan divide is uh, was a little more confusing for me tonight. Uh, I, I thought the match was excellent. Um, do you see – who do you see uh, winning the title next week, the vacant title? Uh, I think it's going to be Kushida. Yeah. You? I think he could use it. Yeah. Because Kushida is just kind of, he's just, he doesn't really have anything to sink his teeth into at the moment. Um, that I, I think he could use it more than Skrull. I think need is the operative word there. Yeah. Skrull is so over everywhere he goes. Right. Yep. And not that Kushida isn't, but I think him holding that belt is sort of like the, the gatekeeper, the ace, as they call him of the junior heavyweight division would be, uh, it would be good. And you know what? That That's a belt that hasn't been defended in a long time now. Yeah. Right? With uh, After what happened to Takahashi. So. Yeah. And I think that, you know, some of the transitions with the the chicken wing and the hoverboard lock, I mean, they, they're they going to have a great match. Uh, yeah. It's going to be neat because it's going to be, I think, a little bit more grounded of a junior heavyweight match than you're used to seeing for the title. Right. Young Bucks, Gorillas of Destiny for the IWGP tag titles. And... This guy really put no spotlight on himself. We just noticed him as the match started. There's Haku in the corner That's of the right. gorillas. Kind of didn't come out with him, I'm pretty sure, and uh, all of a sudden was poking his head up at the corner. Maybe just like jumped the barricade. Maybe he, he was might have been hanging out with Moro yeah. and <laughs> Frank Shamrock, and he's like, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna. Go I gotta to go it. in there, but my kids are in there. Close. Like he had no no spots in the match. Nothing. He nope. was just kind of you know. You're right. Just moral support. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, this audience, first, they're all chanting for the Bucks. But oh, then, man. Then it turned into a G.O.D. chant. There was a G.O.D. There was also the Elite chant. Um, the Bucks are – what they've done is something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say, had they maybe taken this show from Long Beach to the Bible Belt, maybe they would have been confused That's chanting true. G.O.D. <laughs> Matt starts uh, that damn chronic back injury just start flying oh, I can't I, believe it's still bothering him all this time. You know, you, maybe it's time to take some time off if it keeps flaring up like this all the time. Yeah, maybe he needs a chiropractor. Maybe. Some physio. Uh, so Matt injures it early and he has to tag in to tag Nick in. Tangaloa just grabs Matt on the floor, power slams him on the floor. So they just focus on the back and I, I think Matt does a really great job selling the back. I know some people feel it's it's too much. Um, yeah. I think some people have mentioned that the thespian in uh, Matt is a little too much. You're right. <laughs> Matt tried to get involved by climbing the turnbuckle and Tangaloa. They had set up a table prior. And so Matt is trying to help his brother. And as he climbs the turnbuckle, Tangaloa shoves him off and he goes through this, through the table, this, this yeah. table that was Matt. I mean, poor planning on your part. Yeah. Like, what were you thinking? If your back's sore, don't do this, dude. Nick's just getting beaten down in the corner. I thought Nick was terrific in this match. Like his comebacks and yep. it was just like he was kind of the glue of the match, even though more of the focus was on on Matt. But I thought Nick was terrific in the match. Matt finally gets the hot tag. He's firing up with, with 
punches. He applied a sharpshooter to Tamatonga, which Loa broke up. And then the Bucks, they struggle for, uh, to hit more bang for your buck, where Matt is just, you know, if you've ever thrown your back out, you know how hard it is to hit more bang for your buck. Like it's, it's <laughs> really you have to lift tough. the guy like, and then the back. This is a very, terrible. very realistic portrayal of you know a guy with a bad back yeah. giving more and bang a melter driver they had to set up too, you right? And that that didn't go for them. So uh, Tangaloa kicked out of Matt's moonsault, and then Nick. I like this spot. They they're determined to hit the melter driver. Yep. So Nick gets behind Matt, and they. He assists him in lifting up Loa into the tombstone position. He goes for the Meltzer driver, but Tamatonga cuts off Nick in midair with a gun stun. Loa hits it ape. cool. Yeah, it looked really great. Loa hit ape shit, huge near fall, and then Loa lifted Matt into the air to set him up for a gun stun. This was pretty was, much a 3D. It was like a 3D gun stun. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. And they pin Matt. 19 minutes, 21 seconds. The Gorillas win the tag titles. I didn't think this was surprising at all because they had they lost this match, I think I would have been more furious about all of the stuff they did with them in the G1 if it was for nothing. Like, I think you had to do... Yeah, because like that beat down in San Francisco where you set that stuff up and then it was like they just were kind of jerks doing the whole G1 to everybody. And, you know, I thought... And he didn't get a win over Cody, which... Not over Cody, sorry, over Kenny, which I thought he would have in the G1. No, it was like you're coming out of the G1. It was like, was... Was it worth all the complaints if this was the end result? Are yeah. these guys that much more over? So I thought in this instance, like, they pretty much had to win this match. Even though they threw the belts out of the ring at the beginning before the show, like, before the match even started? I mean, so disrespectful. So disrespectful. Uh, where do you see? I can imagine the Gorillas, Killer Elite Squad, the best friends, kind of, that's your tag title feud. Do you think they're going to do something before the tournament? I think you have to do a title defense at least on one of these shows. It's been a while since the Bucks defended them. It's been like since June, I think. Well, maybe the commissioner isn't going to force them to defend. <laughs> I mean, with the outstanding Chris Jericho title defenses, I mean that's true. I mean, they've got, they've got the one. Yeah. Were you surprised no Chris Jericho on this show? Uh, no. You? Uh, yeah, not really. I didn't really expect it. Um, I could see him doing something in Sumo Hall. To set up, so? set up the title match with Evil. I think you have to do that Evil match, and that's not a Tokyo Dome match. No, that would be a what then? If if he showed up next week, that could set up Power Struggle, which okay. is in November, November, which is the last major show of the year. Right, and then maybe Naito at the Tokyo Dome, if that's where you figure everything's going. What, what would you like to see from Jericho? I'm not sure. You know, um, is the novelty wearing off a bit? Do you think? I don't. I don't think we're at that point yet. No? No. I, okay. I think that with Jericho, like, imagine Jericho on this show. Like, he could have headlined this show. You're right. With yes, a title sure. defense, and I think it would have been a big deal. So, I don't know if the evil match is going to, you know, grab a ton of interest, like yeah. his prior two matches. I think you do have to do the Naito rematch. I think Naito does have to get that win back. So, do you think Naito cares? <laughs> I mean, Naito doesn't care about anything, right? Like, he's tranquilo. Why the Gato cares? <laughs> the Gato cares. <laughs> he's, he's got his plans. He's busy. So then we have uh, Juice Robinson, Cody for the United States title. So Cody came out, and if you had any question about what Cody we were going to be seeing, it was evident instantly. He went from th- there's all in Cody, and then there was New Japan Cody, and this was New Japan Cody, like 100. percent 
uh, underhanded, despicable heel, yep. which to me was jarring, not just from All In, where he was the biggest babyface on earth that night. Even from Friday, Mike, I thought he was a totally different Cody from the member of the elite that we saw in the 10-man tag on Friday to this version. Yeah, there was I, – though I got to admit, there was a lot of cool kind of classic heel spots in he's, this match. He's good in the role. Yeah. I just find it jarring that it's, and, it's in such close proximity that it just seems like a totally different character. And, I, you know, the Ring of Honor and New Japan products – are canon to each other, I would say. I agree. Yeah. And that they kind of bounce off of each other. There's a acknowledgement usually of each other. Uh, so I can separate have, Jeff Cobb and Matanza, but that's true. Cody and Cody. Totally is two different guys. Yes. But yeah, when you're talking two days apart and six hour drive, you know, you it's a long drive through the desert from Las Vegas to Long Beach and that can change a band. So he also had this, um, like eye paint on it looked like some David Bowie inspiration, and I will get or War Raiders. I'm going to get 10 million tweets from people explaining the significance of this to me. I didn't. Uh, I, didn't I didn't get it. I don't think there was any reference to, to what it signified. Nope. Um, but maybe it was that's a, evil Cody coming through. Maybe that was the sign. It was literally the evil eye. So he's out with Brandy, and they go to the floor early. And Juice accidentally knocks down Brandy. And Juice is so concerned. And it's all a ploy by Cody and Brandy. Cody attacks him from behind. And Brandy is fine. Kisses Cody. I mean, Cody is great in this role. And this did work for the match to have the defined heel and babyface. Like, this audience really got into Juice. And they understood the role Cody was in. It gives Brandy something to do as well. I mean, in, in the... She's situations. way more dynamic in the matches when I think so, for Cody's sure. playing this character. So the match continues inside the ring. Cody's working on the leg, applies a figure four. He takes off his weightlifting belt. So Red Shoes takes it away. And then he spits water into the face of Juice. From Kevin Kelly's water bottle. Now, I don't want to, uh, you know, dissect this by Cody. But I would be much more likely to take a water bottle that Red Shoes has to force away from me. And then I'd whip the guy with my weightlifting belt. I mean. Behind the back. Red Shoes could hear the weightlifting belt hitting him then. Maybe Cody's like two steps ahead. It's also Red Shoes. You could have a weightlifting belt <laughs> in one hand, the water in the other, and he would probably give you at most a medium-sized warning <laughs> not to do that too many more times or else he might have to There'd be belt straps all over someone and soaking in water and right. you'd still be like, don't do that again. I do have to say on this show, uh, I found on the San Francisco show, you did have Jim Ross and Josh Barnett picking apart a lot like if the match if they're on the fl- on the floor like why isn't there a count and poking holes in it rather than covering if there was stuff like that yeah and there was none of that tonight there was none of that tonight yeah. like it was very different from the San Francisco show i thought uh robinson avoided the power slam uh faking out cody and then each is battling for their uh for the crossroads and for the pulp friction it ends with the pulp friction being hit but cody rolled to the floor robinson would not take the count out victory so he went broke the count and they fought on the floor Inside the ring, man, they got this crowd so wound up. They're exchanging punches as the crowd is chanting for each of their names when they landed. Uh, Cody ended it by poking him in the eyes, hit him with a super kick, and then he hit Din's fire, the vertebraker, and Robinson kicked out of that for his big uh, kickout spot. Robinson goes for a superplex, but upon landing it, Cody just cradles Robinson and pins him. Yep. Just... uh you know, surprise out of nowhere finish. One shoulder up and that was it. He had the shoulder up, 16 minutes, 46 seconds, and Cody wins the U.S. title. And you brought up a great point about what was set up in the G1. It's like 
So poor Juice lost to almost everyone. Six people. Six people. I looked this up after you pointed this out. So that would make six possible contenders for the U.S. title. Yes. Instead, Cody gets the big title shot at the Long Beach show. Wasn't in the G1. This is Cody's third title shot at a U.S. um, New Japan show. Dude finally wins one. He wins one. And given... What they're setting up for Sumo Hall, he had to win yes. on this show. Um, I think but, he had to win anyways. Yeah. Um, you know, it does – the thing with Juice is like he really got no run with this title. It was he, he won it the, the week before the G1 and then he went through the G1. And you're right. He set up all these title defenses, which kind of are out the window. Um, uh, they're all out the window now, for sure. I, I don't think you get a retroactive title shot. I think that's how you get around champion. for losing the champion losing six times in the – yeah, so I'm kind of curious where Juice goes because I mean it was kind of the same thing they did with Goto though, right? Like he lost a ton of matches in the G1 and then loses the belt to Taiji. Yeah, I think Juice had more momentum coming out of the, coming out of the G1 than Goto did. I agree. Yeah. Um. So it'll be interesting where Juice goes after this. Um. The title is on someone you know that's at a higher position in Cody, so I think it does somewhat elevate the title. Um. Presumably. Do you think so? Because Cody is a guy that I would say is not a quote-unquote New Japan guy in that he's brought in for these uh, American shows and some of the bigger shows is like an add-on to the Bullet Club and the Elite. But I wouldn't – they never use him in the tournaments. They never kind of use him uh, in a lot of the storylines and the tours. Well, how about this? If Marty Skrull were to win the junior heavyweight title next week – Look at all the titles that are on non, non-Japanese yeah. and elite as well. You're going, you have from Omega, Jericho, the Gorillas, um, possibly Skrull, uh, in this case, Cody with the U.S. title. It's like Taichi has a never open weight title and you have a uh, Kanemaru and Desperado with the junior heavyweight tag yeah. titles. But you got the ace getting that title shot though, right? That's right. That's, you know, the. He's, he's the, the Japanese representation in the, in the main event these days. The announcers did debate who got the pin, but it wasn't a disputed finish as they showed Cody getting the shoulder up. So wins the title, but would not be the last we would see of him. Main event time. Uh, did you think that match, uh, was it at the level you expected? I was kind of curious to see, you know, that late in the show, cause I thought the crowd would either make or break that match. I yeah. think if that match was a little earlier, uh, maybe the crowd would have dug it a little bit more. I don't know. I thought, I thought it was, it was okay. It was a, it was a decent match. Uh, it didn't blow me out of the water though. Yeah. If, if there were any matches that the audience kind of took a breather on, I thought it was the middle of this yeah. match. Um, but yeah. I think, I think overall they were, they were into Cody, who's generally received as a, as a pretty big star. Yeah. And I think heel Cody with all the dastardly tricks, I think added a lot to this. It, match. it did work. Yeah. Golden Lovers, Kenny Omega and Kota Bushi versus Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii came out. Man, this crowd was just electric. They Whatever were, breather they took in the last match, they were revved and ready for this main event. You saw the crowd running up to the rails before. This was like a Saturday morning episode of Superstars. <laughs> Everybody running up, right? And then they get back in their seats. It seemed for every match. Uh, this match, I'm not going to go through everything that happened in this match, but it was 23 minutes of four guys on the same page that had flawless chemistry. There's, I don't, there's no way to kind of talk about all the things that happened. And do you said 23 minutes, 23 minutes, it was six seconds. It was kind of unbelievable how 
many maneuvers, how much storytelling happened between these four guys, and especially with someone, let's say with Okada and Ishii, which you wouldn't normally think is a regular tag team. They've, you know, they've been in chaos, uh, you know, three mans, five mans, whatever. Right. But man, Ishii, he's like an MVP this year. He really is. Um, yeah. And you know, we say that there was a lot, but I never felt like too much. No, it wasn't like a spot fest. No, it wasn't like you were overwhelmed by every, every no. move that was happening. Everything it, made sense. Everything. I was just, just the timing of everything. Yeah. Like this was just four guys who were just at the top of their games for the top wrestlers in the world. Uh, and they had a dynamite main event and they showed off. I mean, it, this was like a show off match. And I don't mean that in a bad way, it w- but this was like, uh, this is us. This is new Japan. Do this you, is what you can expect in a match. Do you think a lot of guys came into this show, especially in the main event, with a bit of a chip on their shoulder about the attendance? I because Omega brought it up. After. Omega brought it up afterwards. Um, I've Okada has made comments mm-hmm. that I've read over the last week of you know maybe running the same place too many times uh, for the expansion. Uh, there's demand in other cities in North America to see these people, to see these wrestlers, to see these matches that. Let's say in Chicago, we know that there's demand for it. We know there's a big demand in Toronto. We know there's a big demand in New York um, where they haven't been as often in such a short period of time. I was telling you before, if, you know, if you're serious about this, you know, U.S., you are planting your flag here to make this a um, you want to make a giant impact in this part of the world. I'm doing two destruction shows in Japan and I'm doing the Tanahashi Okada match here. That I would have been insane. That would have been like, that's a book your ticket now and you're getting on an airplane to go see that match. Like that is, I think that would have been an enormous match and would have meant more in the U S than this one in Kobe last weekend where, you know, it phenomenal match and is your priority Kobe or is it coming to the U S where I think that I think you could have run the cow palace and probably filled it for Tanahashi Okada on U.S. soil, but why run the Cow Palace? Why not pick somewhere else? Y- you could, you know, yeah, right? you could go elsewhere. I'm just, you know, stating a bigger venue than the Walter Pyramid. I think what I think, even if you ran it at in California, you you kind of reward the fans that have been coming to these shows if you book a match like that, right? Whereas maybe you know, if you hit, let's pick someone in the Northeast, let's say Philadelphia, sure, you know, uh, huge wrestling history in Philadelphia, right? Uh, if you book that match, could you sell 10,000 tickets in Philadelphia, do you think? I don't Without know. Without had them being there before? I think, I think given the timing, three weeks after all in, I don't know if you, if you could sell okay. that many for Tanahashi and Okada, though, I feel in the right city is doing six or 7,000. Yeah. I, I would feel pretty comfortable. And maybe I'm being conservative on that. I think that that, that's one of those destination matches that I feel yeah. people that, no, they're never going to get to Japan, have a chance to see this match that is enormous. And it's a match that they've had, I think, what, what did they say, nine times or something like that, maybe altogether, like singles matches? It has not been a lot. This isn't like Cena and Orton. Well, it's like, if you include everyone, it's like it's like 12 matches going back eight years. Yeah. So it's, but there's been three this year. Yeah. And I would have I done one in the U.S. the more I've given thought about it. I mean, you did two in Japan this year. I would have done one in the U.S. because I think it would have had way more impact here than than in Kobe, and that and it, you also would have had the luxury of being able to announce that in advance after the G1 that you could have 
sold tickets based off that match for a lot longer than six days. But what was holding them up with announcing this main event until the week before? Nothing. Well, there, it really wasn't. Like, you could have announced this tag match. Yeah. And instead, they viewed it as, we've got to finish the Destruction Tour. And there's stories that we're going to tell on there that are going to lead to these matches. And But not the main event. Yeah, you're right. Like right? they they could have announced this in and advance. I feel I, I like it was a big I blogger. feel like Omega and Okada, even in a tag match, uh, that's a big deal, you know, in North America. Similar to like you know Okada versus uh, Tanahashi, even if that was a tag match, I still I think this is a big deal. Like even with you announcing Omega Ishi for the title, and you don't want to give away the finish there, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because both matter guys are still in this match. match. It doesn't matter. You're right. Yeah. No, it's a great point. Uh, so early on. Ishii spit into Ibushi's face. Into his mouth. Into his mouth, the announcers clarified. They They had this exchange of chops and kicks that was just ridiculous. Ishii's chest was just beat red five minutes into this match. They were just destroying one another. Okada was great at just getting into Omega's face on the apron before he was tagged in. It oh, made like so like stare downs from each corner, right? Like he made the gun sign at him and Omega would just wanted none of it. They waited 10 minutes before Okada and Omega were finally tagged in. Yeah. This is the first time they've been in a ring together in the U S. Um, so early, um, they go to the floor and Omega and Ibushi hit the cross slash on opposite ends, much more successful this time than the last time they were in long beach with That's that true. maneuver. Omega and Okada, then they go back to the face-off, crowd's buzzing, and Omega ducks a Rainmaker, lifts up Okada for uh, the one-winged angel. That gets avoided, yep. and he hits the Snapdragon. He's setting up for the V-Trigger and gets caught with a drop kick. Okada, uh, every time he went for the drop kick, it was just the perfect time. He landed it here, and then later there was an even better one. He goes to the Rainmaker, but Abushi grabs his arm right before he's about to connect to save him Omega. After Ishii had saved Okada from the V-Trigger. Yeah. So they did so many saves yeah, in this. That was were good. Was really, really well good. thought out And stuff. saving saving your partner from that like destructive move, right? They did all these reversals on the tombstone that ended with Okada hitting it onto Omega. But then again, Abushi making the save. Abushi comes in with Ishii and landed the double knees off of a standing moonsault that he's now incorporating into his big matches. Omega then countered Okada's huge drop kick with a sit-out powerbomb. Yep. That was awesome. Abushi then takes down Ishii with a Pele kick. All four are down. This place is just on their feet, giving this a standing ovation. Ishii and Ibushi had this huge slapping exchange. Ibushi lands the lariat. And then Okada drop-kicked Ibushi from behind towards Ishii, who followed up with this powerbomb at this high angle, dropping him on his neck. Oh, my God, this sequence. From the drop-kick to the powerbomb for this Ibushi kick-out. Yeah. And you're right. The crowd, New Japan chants, New Japan. Oh, they love this. Yeah. Okada gets run off the apron by a big boot from Omega, and together Omega and Ibushi hit the the golden trigger and pin Ishii. 23 minutes, 6 seconds. This main event was awesome. Just a tremendous, tremendous tag match. Yeah. These are legit four of the best guys going right now. I thought this was the match of the show. The uh, the tag match beat out the uh, the junior heavyweights for me. I agree. But those, this was a great show. Like They really went out tonight with their working boots on and... You know, I think wanted to make a statement. If you passed on this show, you, you made missed, a mistake. You missed an excellent show. I thought this was, you know, start to finish, really hard to complain about. Like, you really have to nitpick on no, this show. You're right. Every in even the commentary from, uh, you know, you can complain about some of the technical stuff, like some of the choices of cuts and things. Big deal. 
You know, like th- that's not what we're here for. Did we enjoy the show? It was amazing, guys. If you haven't watched it, check it out for sure. Uh, what was your match of the show? Was it the main? Main event for sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, you know, both of us were talking about what are they going to set up for next week? And oh, the Bucks come out, Marty Skrull's out, Hangman's out, and Omega's addressing the crowd with Ibushi in the ring. And he brings up that they want to see the rematch between him and Ibushi. And he makes the challenge to Ibushi for next week at Sumo Hall. And before Ibushi can answer... Co- As he's translating it in Japan. Yeah, he was, he was translating yeah. it for Ibushi. Cody runs in and takes the microphone away. And he's talking about being cool with Omega. He's trying to forge a friendship with Ibushi. And instead of a singles match, he proposes a three-way match between the three for the IWGP heavyweight title to headline King of Pro Wrestling. And that's our main event. The second time that the IWGP title has been contested in a three-way with a October 2005 match with Brock Lesnar, Kazuki Fujita, and Masahiro Chono. Yeah, which is regarded as a not a very good match. I think this one will be better. Um, but how do you feel about the three-way? I, I am not a big fan of three-way matches. Um, I think they'll have a great story crafted for this, but I can totally understand... You tease the match everyone wanted. Yes. And I think you're giving people... And then and, the heel broke that up for you. Yeah. And I think that's an odd way to try and sell a show to people. Um, I'm not I'm not cold on the main event. Um, I'm just kind of over three ways to begin with. So it's kind of, It was, I should say, it's been refreshing um, as longtime WWE watchers and even Ring of Honor watchers, you know, to see a main title always be defended between two people. As the IWGP has for the last 15 years, 20 years? What's a bit? For Since the Lesnar one. Was it 14 years? Is that right? Uh, in New Japan? Yeah, we're 13 years. 13 years. Okay. So it's been a long time. And you, with only two guys in a match, you got to have a winner and a loser. That's it. You know what's really crazy is that that three-way, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen 13 years to the exact day. No. I mean, Omega seems really big on making history and changing the world. And and this does fall into that philosophy of, like, doing something different. I think it's – yeah, definitely. Right? I mean, that's kind of been the Omega Okada feud was, like, doing a lot of different – like, doing the doing the 60-minute draw, right. doing the, the two out of three falls match. Um, you know, I, I think this is going to be a great match. I think it will turn out really well. And you are somewhat saving – the singles match for a bigger platform than eight days notice. Like, I think that match should be promoted as something. If you're going to do that match for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that could be Madison square garden. If all things are in alignment, I mean, if everybody's still where they're supposed to be. Yeah. It could be if they are. Do you, um, do you have a, a thought process on the, everyone's going to be asked a free agent question. I mean, what, what's your thoughts the, these many months out of where you envision people by, you know, I think January. everybody's probably going to be where they are right now. I think um, these guys know what they're worth. And as long as they don't get the, you know, I would say offensive offers from where they are, I think. And they have the opportunity to build on all in again and get to do their own merch and get their own sales and kind of help their own storylines go. I think they might. Yeah. I think everyone take a creative road. I think everyone looks at this from the most logical point of view that they there's so much they'd be leaving on the table. But the outlier is the fact that no one knows what the offers are going to be. No. And, it, and the WWE, if they want them, they'll get them. 
that's true. That's ultimately if, what it comes down if to. If it comes down to, to just money, I don't think anybody can compete with Vince. I mean, we don't know what these guys make. We don't know what their merch sales are. We don't know what the advertising rates are on being the elite or anything like that. But, you know, if you, if you look at what these guys have been able to do as almost like their own company that's kind of floating around and doing different stuff, it's, it's really unique. I just, I look at them that you do a show like that at all in and you know, it's just when you, when you produce something that is your own and you see it succeed like that, I think that you just have this, this sense of ownership and accomplishment that it's really hard to just go work for someone else. A hundred percent. Like, um, yeah, I just, I think that that'd be really, really difficult for them, but there's also, there's only so much that you can put your own personal, you know, beliefs behind something. If you know the amount of zeros is just how ridiculous it gets. I think yeah, it depends how many zeros they're going to be offered from whoever, right? Thirteen years to the exact day yeah, of the of the last three way. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of interesting uh, symmetry there. That's a bold statement there, Kenny. So, uh, you're you're ranking on a scale of one to ten, Mike, on tonight's show. Uh. I'm going to say a solid, uh, can I say seven and a half? Is that cool? Yep. Seven and a half. And I don't mean that in any bad way at all. It was a fantastic show, but there just wasn't that match you want to rewatch again. I, I'd highly recommend, I I think the, the junior heavyweight in the main event, I'd highly recommend those, those two, especially. I mean, seven and a half sounds like you're getting a B plus, but really, I mean, I mean, it's a really, it was a really good show. I'm I'm going with a solid eight, Mike. Okay. Uh, John's beat me by half a point here. An eight. Uh, before we go to the feedback, uh, we do have some on the forum. Both of us watched the pay-per-view on Friday that Ring of Honor presented a very different show. And I think that that show, um, it really like this show tonight was very telling of how much an audience is going to lift up a show. And this crowd in Las Vegas on Friday night for the first half, it, I mean, it was a really dead crowd yep. and it didn't turn around until Jeff Cobb appeared. And magically this audience was suddenly alive for the final three matches. Maybe they turned the mics on in there. I don't know what it was, but, uh, the building they ran for death before dishonor on Friday night for ring of honor pay-per-view, uh, was a new building for them. Yeah, I they were at the Orleans Arena, significant, significantly bigger than okay. Samstown. It uh, it looked cool. It looked like a bigger hall for them. Um, unfortunately, when you got a chance to kind of look a little bit closer, there's a lot of empty seats. A lot, yeah. I mean, this was way too big a building for this show. And this, like, I looked at this lineup, and this wasn't your blow-away ROH lineup. Like it felt like this was our pay-per-view that we're doing for September and these are the matches. And I, I, I didn't sense the anticipation for this show. No. And, uh, I watched it with my oldest daughter who has never, uh, tuned into a ring of honor pay-per-view before and watched the whole thing. And, you know, we had some questions about where is this ring of honor show without the new Japan guys? And half the matches had a big contingent of New Japan talent in them, mm-hmm. whether it was Liger, whether it was Chaos, whether it was Will Ospreay in, in the main event. And it's kind of cool to see, you know, a once in a while, a special, a dream match, like a like an Ospreay versus uh, Jay Lethal, you know, something that you don't see right. week in, week out or month in, month out, you know, two guys that have not 
you know, seen each other in a year, let's say. But where is Ring of Honor going to be as this U.S. expansion continues? Well, that to me is, you know, the big question is as New Japan further cements themselves in the U.S., how much do they look at Ring of Honor as a partner versus an eventual competitor? And you're going to be eventually going for the same venues and wanting to tour more in the U.S. that may conflict with uh, with ROH dates. And then you have people like Cody and the Bucks that are kind of in the middle. Like they have exclusive contracts with ROH in the U.S. How are their new deals going to look like? Are they going to have non-exclusive deals? Are they going to opt for one over the other? But if they have exclusive deals with ROH in the U.S., then why are they doing shows like Tonight? Well, because they're partners. They're allowed. That's like, what it is. That's, like, it's a partnership. ROH would they're well within their contractual rights that they would not be, okay. be they could pull Cody and the Bucks from from doing these shows. I mean, they had to give them their okay to do all in right. even okay. because they have their their rights in the US and I believe that extends to Canada as well. Right. So, okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting relationship that New Japan, I think that the fact that they kind of split the rights with Cody and the Bucks, it's they want to have them on those shows. So that's that's a reason to yeah. be in business with ROH. But it, this relationship between the two, I didn't think it would go this long. It's just so No, I thought it was a good way for New Japan to kind of like break the ice, you know, doing those first like global wars tours. Oh, it, like it made a lot of sense. I just I look at past relationships in wrestling that eventually some side blows up on the other. And yeah. you know, these two, they've been good for one another. Thus far, like we're going, it's, it's been four years now. Do you think Ring of Honor gets the shorter end of the stick in this relationship? Would you say? Um, I think that it's, I, I think it's helped a lot of their guys that have been able to go over there. It's certainly, I mean, it's helped the ROH in the sense that a lot of like those War of the Worlds tours yep. do really well when they're able to bring them over. Uh, but yeah, there's also like the other side that when New Japan is not there, just a strict ROH show. Do people feel like I'm not getting this full experience of the Agreed. New Japan guys aren't or there? Or what about the guys that don't make the card for the pay-per-view because you've got a 10-man Chaos versus Bullet Club match, you know, like the, the guys like uh, Grisham, who was not on yeah. the yeah. pay-per-view, right? And he's had a good month. Oh, he just that. had that tremendous match with Jay Lethal on, on television. That- yeah, and they're building them up as like buddies that are like helping each other out, right? And then he's got Beer City Bruiser, you know, as a dark match. Yeah. I, I mean, there's certainly a, a heavy reliance on, on New Japan. And I think they're, I think Cody and the Bucks kind of offset that because I think people do look at them as, as ROH guys. I agree. Yeah. But it's, yeah, if like they, I always go back to, to them and their contract situation of like the amount of leverage and power they control is absurd at the moment going into these contracts. Like you have never seen, a, a group that seem completely bandied together that have so much leverage to really cash in on whatever deal they choose to make for themselves. And we're only looking at the ROH WWE side that who knows if there was a, a streaming service out there that yep. f- followed all in and said, guys, we're going to pay you stupid money to do being the elite and you do four quarterly events at major basketball sized arenas. Sure. And that's it. And we will run the business and you guys do what you've been doing. And you're not, you're not bound by New Japan or Ring of Honor. You guys can do whatever you want and we're going to pay you like a DAZN that is spending. <laughs> They they're spending nine figures over five years for Bellator. Yeah, I mean they're looking for uh, stuff to stream. Those guys for sure. Like, it's 
they're all looking just to grab whatever eyeballs possible. And you have this interesting subset within the professional wrestling industry that I think has a lot of attention at the moment because of these huge WWE deals that you're looking at what else is hot in wrestling. And if you're aware of like everything associated with all in the right person that sees that that's a decision maker at one of these places could become a player in this whole bidding process for these guys. I think that's, um, you know, as, as people look and kind of get tired of what's on WWE and, and look for something new or they cash out of wrestling altogether, that passionate fan base would follow those guys to kind of whatever, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, we've seen it at, you know, the bucks at indie shows. We've seen it, at the you know, going to all in it's, it's crazy how, you know, they've been able to build this little empire. It's kind of similar, like how the hot topic deal came about yeah. was just <laughs> WrestleMania week, a hot topic executive sees all these shirts and went to the WWE saying, we want these shirts. And they find out that those aren't our guys. Yeah. And look what that's opened up revenue wise for, for all of these guys. And it's, it's the same thing that if like, I always look at these streaming services as kind of the, the left field option for the, for someone to come out and offer these guys a ridiculous amount of money that just see an audience there. But, uh, just quickly getting back to the ROH pay-per-view, uh, what were some of your other takeaways, uh, from the card? I, I really enjoyed the last, uh, I thought the last three matches all worked for various reasons. I, I really enjoyed Lethal and Osprey. Uh, Lethal and Osprey was great. I thought every match was good. Yeah. Everyone told a, a pretty good story. Um, the crowd did hurt it, whether it was a technical or just people weren't into it. Uh, we saw some of the same people from both shows. You know, we saw people from Friday night show at the new Japan show in the crowd. And I was kind of shocked because the people that were in the, the ring of honor crowd, you know, you didn't see all the bullet club t-shirts like you thought, I thought you would have, you know, there was more uh, variety yeah. of shirts, you know, which is usually like a good measuring stick of what's hot and who's hot. Uh, but I guess maybe when you don't see your champ shirts on people, there's a, maybe there's a bit of an issue. What do you think about Jay Lethal as ROH champion and where they're going? Cause that was a big angle coming out of the show is, is Matt Taven attacks Jay Lethal and he's got his own replica title that, yeah. that looks to be the, the title program probably for final battle. Uh, I think Matt Taven's time in CMLL has been good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of amazing looking back at even Jay Lethal, like from, 10 years ago, eight years ago, you know, like when Samoa Joe trained him and he kind of was starting out and, you know, and to where he is now is this kind of like a uh, senior guy in, in, in ring of honor. And I think he carries the belt really well and mm-hmm. his matches have, have been good, very good as a, as champion. But I thought his performance with Gresham on TV was yeah. as good as any champion this year in terms of just, you know, your classic champion working with the, Guy, just this middle of the run guy on the roster. Yep. It was a phenomenal performance for Gresham, got him over. Yep. Like it was very like Flair Sting in terms of kind of its execution that you took this guy that people know Jonathan Gresham, yeah. but he had this match in front of his hometown and he just felt like a star at the end. Yeah, of it. it looked like a million bucks. Right? Yeah. And, and I agree. I think that he should have had a prominent spot on this show to follow up on that momentum. I think the Briscoes, uh, the heel Briscoes are amazing. I love the heel Briscoes. Did you, were you tuning in early where they're running the, uh, like the preview portion <laughs> and they're on their, they're at their farm and Mark's firing off like yeah. a rifle. It, like the Briscoes are the best Briscoes. Like nobody else could the, play what, these guys. No. And no matter what, uh, side of the coin they're on, they're amazing. Yeah. And they are in character Every second of a match. 
I was surprised that match was on as early as it was. It was the second match yep. of the show. And yeah, I think that was one that was somewhat hurt by the crowd that I think if that match had been maybe just a little bit later, maybe it would have been a, a, a different case. What do you think about the women's match? Um, I, I didn't have really a, a strong takeaway on it. Um, Sumi Sakai, I'm kind of hot and cold on as, as the champion. Yeah. I was really surprised they put it on her to begin with. I was even more surprised they kept her it on her this long. I really like Kelly Klein. I almost feel like they somewhat build the division more around her as kind of the bully for all the other women to be after. Um, the average coming match, out of it that uh, Tennille Dashwood has been injured somewhere. Yeah, behind. she's got legit shoulder surgery coming up, so she's going to be out a while. So, th- so why does she do the match? I guess they probably just this was scheduled and she had to get through this match and that's it. I don't know. The the women's division in Ring of Honor, I, I don't think it's gotten off to a, a great start. Agreed. Um I've enjoyed when they brought in some of the stardom women, but I you know, just watching the TV every week, it's they're featured one week and then you don't see them for another four or five yeah. weeks. I don't think they've done a great job of introducing all of the women beyond the tournament that they did to crown the champion. And I just don't think that they built this matchup all that well. And I don't think they've done a great job with Sumi Sakai either. Like, here's someone that not everyone Agreed. is as familiar with. So I, I've kind of been disappointed with the division. And I wasn't surprised that the crowd was kind of not into this one. Uh, how do you think Chris Saban look came in, coming out of this match? After his big kind of angle with uh, Alex Shelley telling him to, like, you know, go prove yourself. Make it, make it worthwhile and legitimize Alex Shelley's career as well. I hate the... Like, they're almost making Chris Saban into this Matt Seidel character, if yeah. you're following Impact. I mean, it was kind of funny, the, yeah. the intro, but... <laughs> I just... But what you just outlined, like, with the Alex Shelley stuff, it just seems like... The show was kind stuff, of deadly serious, right? It like, was completely serious. Yeah. Like, you did this angle with it. Like, I thought the Shelley farewell on TV was, like, one of the better ROH segments this year. It was, it was real, yeah. and it kind of just... Him, he, for those who didn't see it, it's Shelly saying he's going away, but he wants Saban to show everybody he's more than just a tag wrestler and do my career proud by going out there and proving this to people, what I already know. And then he loses this match clean to Punishment Martinez. Flat match. And it became like the whole focus was on, was on Jeff Cobb. Yeah. And, you know, if you're looking at Jeff Cobb or Chris Saban, I can understand that you lean towards Jeff Cobb, but it just, yeah, it kind of just left Chris Saban with with nothing at the end yeah, of this. And like, gonna, where does he go after this? I think he's going to do this silly character that's going to be, you know, I, I don't, I don't see him pulling off this, you know, third eye character that I. I'm I feel not, like that's something that you could have pulled off like in three months from now. You know, let him win the TV title. Well, especially the you fact know. that you know Jeff Cobb could have been introduced without winning the title instantly. Sure, I'm never a fan of the guy winning the title immediately. That. You know, no, you he's come in and he's disrupted everything, right? If, yeah, we haven't even mentioned this. The fact that Punishment Martinez, it looks like he's WWE bound. So he's out of the company. So Saban winning this title, it does tell a story. He he wins this title. He dedicates it to Alex Shelley. That's yep. a cool moment on this pay-per-view. I agree. Uh, you know, he dedicates us to Shelley. I think the, the fans were expecting that. And you could still do uh, Punishment Martinez the next night comes out and he's confronted by Jeff Cobb, who sends him out of Ring of Honor. Yep. Hot start for Jeff Cobb. You you leave him with something to chase with the TV title. Have him go after Saban or do, do something with him. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how it comes off on TV. I think they're just they're all in on Jeff Cobb, and 
put the title on on him that weekend. Yep, I think the uh, the table match was good. I like the tables match. Yeah. I, I thought that everyone played their role well. Um, they're building obviously to a Bully Ray Flip Gordon blow off match. Bully Ray's been pretty great, I think, in this role. He's been very good in this yeah. role. I think that the heel turn has added a lot for him, and the crowd got into this. Like this match worked for for what it was. I got a question for you. Another question. Uh, why do the Ring of Honor announcers face away from the ring when they're doing their commentary? Backs to the ring. Uh, they're fans of Nitro, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of Caprice Coleman working with uh, oh, Ian? Rick you know what? He had some. He had some really good stuff, and he had some cringe stuff. And one of the ones that really stood out, uh, unfortunately, was a cringe one. And in the main event, he said how. If Will Ospreay had won this be- this belt, this the Ring of Honor World Championship, it would just be just another championship that he went he put it on his shelf. I'm like, are you serious? Like, you're working for this company and you're just saying that this belt, this main title of yours that you work for, is just another belt. Yeah, that that should be one on one. Don't don't do that. <laughs> I, I, I watched this pay per view with a. Uh, our mutual pal, Dan Lavransky, he loved Caprice. He was yeah. a big fan of him. Uh, I, I kind of didn't have a, you know, strong thought one way or the other. I, I thought at times he, he really got into the matches and stuff, yep. uh, but it didn't leave a solid impression on me. I think I, sometimes he, he added some great history and, and a little bit of backup story. Yeah. Like he's, you know, he did, a, he did a fine job. Yeah. I really like Ian Riccoboni and, and Colt Cabana together. I okay. think they, they really work well together, but Caprice was a fine fill in on, okay. on the show. And he's been doing some of the TV lately. Yeah, 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 that's right. So that was the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a different scale because now we're so conditioned. That, like tonight's New Japan World Show, it comes with your subscription. This was if you bought this on pay-per-view, this was forty-five dollars. Yep. And you know, maybe ten years ago, it's it's a it's a different recommendation. Uh, it's tough to justify a forty-five dollars show today because the market has changed itself. And I wouldn't say this was one of the Ring of Honor pay-per-views to go out of your way to see. No, I, I enjoyed I the last. Three matches, but I, I would recommend and again, the, the New Japan card significantly above. How many of the guys on the Ring of Honor card were on tonight's card? Well, we had all of the elite members. Flip. We had uh, Okada. We had Liger. Yeah. Um, was Kushida on the ROH pay per view? Uh, he was not. No, but uh, SCU was. Yeah, it was a, right? there, like there was a lot of crossover. Yeah, a lot, right? And if you if you're thinking, uh, man, time wise or money wise, you know, I can see all these guys on this card, or I can see all these guys on this card. Right. I can pay fifty bucks, or I can pay twelve bucks and get my monthly subscription. Yeah, yeah, it's totally right. Without even you know evaluating the value of the card, you know, of what matches were better. All right, we're gonna do uh, some quick feedback here before we. Uh, Call it a night here. Uh, we put up tonight's uh, poll. What did you rate this show on a scale of 1 to 20? And the post-wrestling forum, 17.67. That seems pretty high. That was a, that was a pretty well-received show. Would you uh, – yeah, is that above average, would you say, for a uh, Oh, that's above average for our, for our polls. It's usually, <laughs> uh, you know, raw usually takes a beating in these polls. Okay, right? fair enough. All right, let's uh, go through here. Brandon from Oshawa. This was an outstanding show, not a bad, bad match on the card, and even JR was good this time. I thank Kevin Kelly for that. Ross seemed more business-like uh, than he usually does with Barnett. I think a petition needs to be made to replace Yoshihashi, Bad Luck Folly, and Tamatonga in the G1 next year with Osprey, Kushida, and Jeff Cobb. Those three are just awesome. It's time Osprey and Kushida make the jump to heavyweight. I'm glad Jay White pinned Tanahashi, and they 
didn't go with the cop-out of having Gato get pinned. U.S. title match was much better than the NWA title match at All In. I would not agree with that one. That NWA title match, if you were in the arena that night, that was a tremendous atmosphere. And the reaction to that title change dwarfed this one. I did have one issue with the show, and that was the announcement of the triple threat at King of Pro Wrestling. Not the triple threat itself. But that Cody's in the match. I don't really get the reason or the point. Why take the U.S. title off Juice if Cody's just going to be main eventing the next show and doesn't need that title? It wouldn't fit in storylines right now, but I'd really like to see a triple threat between Omega, Okada, and Naito. The three top guys at the top stables. That would make sense. So there you go. Not a, not a fan of Cody in the, in the main event, Mike. Eric from North Dakota. I made the trip down for this show. I was nervous at first with no card and poor ticket sales. I think coming in with low expectations was perfect because this was the most fun I've ever had at a wrestling show. The pacing felt great, but not rushed at all. Marty and Osprey had me on my feet almost the entire time. It was just an all-around spectacle. Main event was easily the best match I've ever seen live. The place filled up pretty well after intermission, and it definitely sounded like it. Seeing a lot of people saying Jay White has go-away heat, but we were all having fun booing him and treating him and Ghetto like true heels. So I, I thought Jay White just came off like a yeah, terrific I, heel. He's I not X-Pac. Come on. he's He's got something going on. Bruce from Vancouver. The dark match was classic Young Lions stuff with Clark Connors defeating Alex Coughlin around the eight minute mark with a, with a, with a Boston Crab at an angle that you'll never see leaning so far back his head touched the canvas. Wow. Ouch. Um, I, I would have to. For both guys. Ouch. That's painful. He says that, uh, the Walter Pyramid was maybe 75% full by the time the main card started. Though, who knows? Maybe everyone else was in line for autographs from... Do you want to know who they brought in for autographs? Uh, you will not guess it. Uh, Shibata. Scott Norton. Very close. Really? Former IWGP <laughs> know. Scott Norton. <laughs> Crowd was loud for Liger, Naito, and Tanahashi, but the hatred for White and Ghetto was through the roof and easily sparked the biggest reaction of the first half. Not sure how it came across on air, but a good 30% of the crowd was behind G.O.D., which was something of a surprise for me. Yeah. Oh, he's got a photo of it, dude. There's the... Oh, you're right. That looks amazing. Oh, that's a hell of a Boston crab. That's like, man, that's a... That patented Young Lions Boston crab, eh? That's a, that's a New England crab right there. That's, <laughs> that's very impressive. Bill from Omaha. For a show that had such a little buzz, I thought this was a fantastic show. Real easy watch, and there wasn't a bad match on the card. Matches of the night for me were the Osprey Squirrel and main event. As for the broadcast, I thought this was much better than earlier access broadcasts, but I still noticed mistakes with cutting to the wrong cameras and camera operators not being in the right place at times. They're getting better, but they still have to improve. Once again, I thought Kevin Kelly proved he's the best wrestling announcer in the business and really helped Help JR by explaining some backstory as well as the names of moves that JR could pick up on. Let's hope Kevin is here to stay. All in all, a really fun show. 18 out of 20 nice. for me. Do you see them changing the commentary up after this, or do you think they will stick to the, the Friday night team of Ross and Barnett? Uh, maybe they go with three man, which I, I think is unfortunate because it's a tough way to listen to three guys. But I, thought this I might be wrong. See, I don't watch the access shows, so I don't. I don't either. I don't really have a good um, sense of Ross and Barnett together. But I think I, the I, access I, shows are different than doing it live, though. Very different. Yes, agreed. Lewis from Long Beach. I was also at this show live, having been at the previous Long Beach show as well as the most recent one at the Cow Palace. I'd rank this show third out of those three. Did you enjoy this more than the March show? Uh, no. I mean, there was something special. It's hard to compare when you're being there live. Best match that I watched tonight was Skrull Osprey, which was on fire from the bell till the end, and was the best 16 or 17 minutes on the card. When they teased the Spanish fly spot on the apron, I was legitimately wincing in hopes that they didn't do it. Yeah, that was the 
they teased that spot, which was where Osprey mangled his neck right before WrestleMania weekend yeah. last year between these two. Uh, goes on to say that Jay White came across as a massive heel. He didn't have go-away heat, but what he did have was the audience eating out of the palm of his hand, and it was awesome to see. And the last one, Jake from the Windy City. I haven't been the biggest fan of Jim Ross's commentary post-WWE, but him and Kevin Kelly really served the event excellent. It seemed like Kelly was helping JR and educating him on the New Japan product, and it really helps. I don't think it's Barnett's fault. JR at this point just works better with a dude who knows all the details, leaving him to pick his spots. Barnett openly admits to not preparing prior to calling shows. He just shows up and talks. No prior research into current storylines, etc. And it shows with the prior events. It's a good cross-section there. You got people who went to the show. Yeah, we got, it, got, a, got a good uh-huh. sense of everyone's feedback here. So there you go. That was the Fighting Spirit Unleashed card. I, I give this definitely a thumbs up. Thumbs up for sure. A really good show. And yeah, I I think most went in, not with a ton of buzz, though this looked like a really good card on paper. But As I, soon it, as they announced the card, you're like, yeah, there's some good matches here for sure. I expected a good show. It over-delivered for me in terms of the, the quality and the crowd was Fantastic. Yeah, the crowd was amazing. Um, good on you, Long Beach, and anyone that traveled to get there. Last thing before we go, when do you see them coming back? Uh, with a New Japan show, we'll not include... With Mad- a straight New Japan show? Not including Madison Square Garden. Uh, man. Do you wait till like maybe, next spring? Maybe May, yeah. yeah. Like, what's the rush? If, if you've seen that there's been a dwindling interest and the way that they book their cards and they wait until the last show has happened and it hasn't helped them in their ticket sales. Uh, what do you do? I think there's something to learn that this is something the UFC has become a slave to. And that is they announced that we're going to do all these pay-per-views every year. They give a number. Yep. They, don't, they don't know what's going to be headlining. True. They're just announcing all these dates. If I'm looking at my next big us card, I'm waiting till I have the right match. And not just, well, we're coming back on this date. What's going to headline? Don't know. Yeah. It's almost like, okay, our next U.S. show, we want to run. And this is this is the main event. At least have a main event that's going to work for the market. That is something you can build to. And and come back when, when you're ready. If you're going to do something like that, you either need to have someone special that isn't on the cards all the time. So it's a, it's a big draw. Or it's a title that isn't always defended. There might be one guy who fills both of those spots, Let's both I, of those ideas. I think just the way that he's kind of reversed his his thinking on it. I think Chris Jericho wrestling on a on a U.S. show that is a non WWE card kind of means something to people. I think if you announced Jericho versus Naito yep. for here, yep, for the Intercontinental title, what do you want? Ten thousand? Go for like a hockey ring kind of thing? Yeah, I. Th- Jericho's an interesting player in this whole mix. I think that's the answer. I mean, I thought Omega as the IWGP champ was, okay, now we're going to do U.S. shows and we're going to have a U.S. champion, uh, you know, that can speak English to the crowd afterwards and, and them thinking that that's what they needed, but they haven't pulled the trigger on that. Yeah. And it's Jericho's been very smart about not overexposing himself. His matches feel like a big deal when they happen. And, yeah, I, d- I do expect he'll do a match before the end of this year. Uh, but that probably, that has to be in Japan, not counting his, his cruise. You're not going, not, on, no, you're not going on the cruise. Are no, you, are you, are you and Way going on the cruise? Are you not going to cover it? No. Cruise, no. Uh, I think it's technically called, uh, the Rock and Rager. That's right. The Rager. Yes. All right. Well, Mike, uh, this has been a lot of fun tonight. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, anytime. We, we love having you on. Uh, I know we will definitely, uh, 
Well, well, we'll talk to your people. We got to secure your services for for a future date. Uh, this guy drives a harder bargain than Chris Jericho, so we got to got to book him long term in advance. That's right. Kids, kids got a lot going on. So, uh, but thanks as always, Mike. Uh, I always ask if people have anything to plug. Is there anything you want to plug? No, no, I got nothing to plug. Uh, you know, just got my own work, got my own kids I got to take care of, and uh, once again, thanks for having me. It was awesome. Pleasure. The the coffee is on me. Anytime. Thanks, man. That is it for us. Uh, I will be back Monday night with Wei Ting with Rewind a Raw. Wei Ting will be uh, recovering from the wedding that he is currently at. And maybe he will have seen some of the New Japan cards. So we will... Uh, you we'll might get, want to talk about that again instead of Raw. Get some of his thoughts on it. Yes. We, we've we got Raw in Seattle on, on Monday night. Big go-home show for, the, for the Super the- Showdown, Mike. 5 a.m. Saturday do morning. You, who do you think they're going to bring back for that show? Are we going to get... Are we talking about Bushwhackers? Stri- Australia or? Yeah. Are we getting the Bushwhackers? Oh my goodness. I didn't, I didn't think, you of didn't the, even bu- think the, the Bushwhackers, bushwhackers oh. getting, uh, getting, uh, <laughs> an invite onto the big super showdown card. There's no giant uh, gimmick Royal Rumble they need to do or anything like that. No, the local flavor might be limited to the Iconics and Buddy Murphy. Yeah. The Iconics are pretty cool. We'll see. Ronda Rousey going back to the site of her first loss in Australia. And let's see if she can turn things around in the six woman tag. I think there's a lot of buzz for that, uh, the Taker and Triple H match. Would you not say? Oh, yeah. I think they've done a really good job of, yeah. of building this match. And I think the tease that I, I think it's been dangled very well that people are now expecting a Shawn Michaels return. So they're expecting an angle to be shot at the end of this. Yeah. That that kind of adds like that's the interest in the show. Beyond it, it's uh, Styles and Joe is kind of an important match, but it's. It's largely concentrated in the main event. I think it's the yeah. Which I, I think should go on last. Hunter and Taker. You're probably not wrong. Especially if they're going to have like a big angle. For sure. Yeah. I, I think if it's something, you know, physical with Sean where you're going off and you're you're teasing that that match. Do you think they have a schmoz or do you think there's going to be a, a finish? A clear finish? Um, You could do the disputed finish that leads to the tag. It's possible. Like? Do you see Undertaker lose? Mm. People don't like it when he loses. They get really upset. No, but if they're building to it where he's going to he's gonna beat Sean in the tag match or he's going to beat Hunter in the tag match, you right. could do that. He could lose. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's, a, it's interesting what, the, what they do with it because I think ultimately you're going to be coming out of it with, with something notable. And, yeah. and I think if you do something big physically with Sean, that's going to leave people happy. Yeah, I mean, people are psyched. It seems for that for sure. Are you are you yay or nay on Sean doing another match? I would have said no, but I think they've done a really good job. Where it it looks like it means something for him to come back. I think the tag match is the right way to do it. Yeah. That you're not over promising anything, just to see how it goes. Yeah, and I I think I think Sean's going to be just fine. I'm not, I'm not worried about that, <laughs> but. If he were coming back for a singles match with someone, I think the expectation is so much higher. Yeah. That Whereas with four guys, you can kind of hide stuff. For the sure. tag match, it's like you can you can give people just enough that hopefully coming out of it, they want more. Yeah. And then they have the option, yeah, you can do more if you want. It's amazing how that guy that you know broke his back, Shawn Michaels, right, and took five years off, came back better. Lost a uh, facial feature. In 1997? <laughs> yes, his smile returned, right? Found that. Found the smile again. And, you know, who knows what we're going to get after eight, nine years? Eight years? What's it been? It's been a long time. Third run. Yeah. Third eight, run. This eight. is like a legit third run. It's crazy. He retired 2010. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's been eight years. All right, everybody. 
We're going to wind it down. But uh, yes, all of that coming up this week. We will have a review of Super Showdown. And it is fight week with Conor McGregor, Habib Nurmagomedov. So crazy, crazy week at the post office. We will have you covered on everything. You can go to postwrestling.com or sign up at postwrestlingcafe.com. And we'll speak with you on Monday night.